Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, October the 31st, 2022. You don't need to tell me, or I don't need to tell you what October the 31st is. It's Halloween Day. The day of horror and fear and hell and little children with chocolate bars. Uh, I'm not sure if the whole world does Halloween. Certainly it's one of the, the big events and one of the fun events, actually, as a parent. It's the one event when you have little children that you actually enjoy. It beats Christmas <laughs> and Thanksgiving and all those other holidays. Um, we just did a, a show uh, about dead bodies earlier today with the American historian and lover of cemeteries, um, uh, Greg Melville. And now we're moving on to the real stuff, the real horror heavyweight stuff, hell, or at least uh, a fictional recreation of hell with my guest, Claudia Lux, first time writer. Her novel, Sign Here, is just out and it's about hell. Uh, Claudia is joining us from Boston, Massachusetts, some people's version of hell. I know one of my friends <laughs> lives in Boston and considers it the worst place on earth, but presumably there are worse places, Claudia, um, away from the earth. Have you been to hell? How did you do your research for this novel? Um, yeah, no, I haven't actually booked my, uh, my ticket yet, but um, I did a lot of research for this actually by well my hell is a little bit different than the kind of fire and brimstone hell that people talk about um the most part this my hell is based more on the idea of consistent discomfort and unpleasantness um so i feel like oh, I you just went on an aircraft right i'm sorry you just took an airline journey or went to an airport <laughs> exactly right so yeah i just pulled from my own life uh, from my own experiences but i also was able to do a lot of crowdsourcing and ask friends and family and strangers, you know, what is it that would, that would be in their hell? What is the thing that if given enough time would torture them completely? Um, so that's how things like in my hell, you have to try five pens before a pen will work. Um, that oh my God, I hope also in your hell, the sinks don't have taps and you have to put your hand under and none of them ever work. Yes, that would be exactly. one of the top five things in my hell. And by the way, for people watching, um, uh, Claudia has a friend or a companion, Billy, who she's claimed is more dragon than dog. Um, he's clearly not in hell, uh, Claudia. No, he's he lives quite, a good life, Billy. He, he lives quite a good life. Yeah, for sure. But I think he looks like Falcor from The NeverEnding Story. Yeah, he does. Maybe you can uh, get him a movie gig. Um, so, so you did this research with your friends and family to determine how everyone imagines hell and you came out with a kind of, it's not, as you say, it's not a fire and brimstone version. It's more of an annoying place, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated by the logistics of the concept of hell. You know, how does that work? Um, you know, you can't, there can't just be torture 24 seven, you know, people, the people who do the torturing have to, you know, have be able to clock out at some point, you know, there has to be a way to, how do you leave work at work <coughs> when that's your job? Um, so I really wanted to kind of play with that idea and look at the kind of the daily grind of hell. 
um and what, what yeah and the daily grind is uh for, for those of us unfortunate or fortunate enough to have jobs that's what you seem to have focused on um the traditional notion of course of hell and in, in literature is this deal with the devil the so-called faustian bargain that goethe imagined or the uh mephistophelian uh, bargain from german folklore and that's the the heart of the the novel sign here means that there's a uh, a faustian bargain going on in your book tell me about that yeah so in my hell um there are six floors so i say in the beginning that dante is an exaggerator uh but on the fifth floor is we're where... all italians Claudia. <laughs> that's that's not news Italians, all right. Um, yeah, no. So they all the people who um, live and work on the fifth floor are the people who are, are are in the deals department. So they're basically door to door salesmen. They're the ones who will show up if somebody wants to make a deal to sell their soul. And a lot of their job is to kind of trick people, you know, into not reading the fine print, into kind of wanting. So they're the lawyers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think I say somewhere in there that anybody who's ever read uh, legal documents is familiar with this this kind of hell. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where they live and work. And my main character, Peyote Trip, uh, because one thing that happens when you arrive in hell is you get a cringeworthy um, name. And so he, uh, Peyote Trip, has been following this one family for four generations and he needs one more generation of this family to sign their soul um, to make a deal. And then he gets a promotion among other things, but those other things, I'm not doing any spoilers. <laughs> How do you deal with the body spirit division? I mean, one of the things I've never understood, particularly about the Christian version of hell, mm -hmm. is there's all this fire and brimstone down there, but the assumption is we don't carry our body or at least they get buried as greg melville said in cemeteries so what's your assumption do we carry our bodies down to hell yeah that was a part in in this hell um yes the i mean i don't know honestly i didn't think too much about the burial pro process but for these characters these characters yes they have bodies and it's through these bodies that in some ways you know that their hell is experienced so for example um you know, they, there's puddles that change on random. So they step into these puddles. You don't know if you're going to go up to your waist or your ankle or where it's going to stop. Um, they talk a lot about the, the only thing that's available is Jaeger. Um, so that I think after, after eternity, um, even if you love Jaeger, you might not be a huge fan by the end of that. Um, so there are some. Well, this, is, um, this is the Jaeger, the drink. Mm-hmm. That's it's it. Like a, a German beer, right? It's a, I think it's a liqueur. I'm not actually sure. It'll kind of make you sick. Although I can imagine worse drinks in hell. Well, that's the thing is that it's, you know, it would be kind of it's different for everybody. Um, for me, that would be, that would definitely be up there. So this is the worst. So you have to drink Jaeger. You can't drink water. There's no tea or anything like okay, that. You can drink water, but the only thing the bars will serve is Jaeger. Um, unless you have, unless you know a guy on the inside. Um, and what do you get to eat in this place? Uh, what about food? Salt. That's a big um, thing. So, um, you know, you eat kind of the way that he describes it is um, he describes time like this, but I think it applies to everything, to food and everything else that it's like a daily slot bucket. 
you know? Ooh. And um, so you kind of take your day and your food and your whatever, anything that kind of gives us joy because we're alive doesn't provide that same kind of joy when the sense of the exit has already been achieved, you know, the, the ending or already in the afterlife, there's no escaping that. So is this hell kind of imagined by Kafka, this bureaucracy, these five or six levels, it's kind of like a, a comic version of, of Kafka's castle or trial. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is definitely some Kafka-esque kind of components to this. Um, and to really, you know, anyone who's kind of looked at the the insanity that can come from drudgery, um, I think that that's a really, that's kind so, of the, the bureaucracy, um, uh, the, the bad jobs, um, uh, mundane life. That's what we most fear if we were to go to hell. Right. We all become and, what? Secretaries, um, uh, pet yeah. paper pushers. Paper pushers, exactly. Um, yeah, kind of typical office jobs. There's a lot of meetings um, with a boss who doesn't really want to listen to her employees and doesn't really care. And um, there are, you know, the meetings that kind of go on forever. Uh, the coffee machine doesn't work, that kind of thing. Uh, Is there, yeah. the, uh, some people consider the internet already a kind of hell. Is there an internet in your house? Um, there is not an internet. They do have um, tablets. So that's kind of their, they've been able to upgrade to tablets for when they're doing deals, which helps because it's a lot more likely for people to not read the fine print on a tablet. Uh, Cause we're so used to, you know, scrolling down and just signing when they tell us to. Um, so there, there isn't an internet. There is a apparatus, a, a contraption called the looking glass that provides a call it Google for all of human existence. It kind of, it can tap into any single memory that any human. Mm, my wife has. works for Google. Yeah. <laughs> not suggesting she works for hell, but right. Uh, I have to tell her that Google features in. So this is a sort of what That's we might think of as, as the Luxian version of hell. Yeah. Uh, what about a, a devil is there a devil or is it a committee it sounds like there should be a committee of devils in this right this yeah there is no devil um on the top floor is where the arc it's the architect floor and that's kind of the hardest to get to the um cleanest um you know kind of the most mysterious and um and so that's where the and that's the only kind of reference of a power source is is this concept of the architects um Honestly, I mean that's me. That that would be that would be where I live <laughs> because I uh, made it up, you know. So I would be the architect, and that's so you're responsible for this hell. For um, this, hell. yeah, not for all hells, but for the one I wrote here, yes. <laughs> and in terms of all the different hells, I mean, you can look up on Wikipedia. There's versions of hell: Kerr, Hades, Sheol, all sorts of others. Is there a particular religious or non-religious version of hell. It's always been something that's preoccupied humans where we go after we die, particularly if we misbehave. Um, have you borrowed from anywhere or is this a new tradition, this Luxian hell? <laughs> um, I think that I've borrowed from, from different religious influences, looking at just in the concept of, of sin and punishment. Um, you know, the idea that there is some kind of clock you know or counter that is that is on all of us to kind of figure out which way we go if we go um if we're good or bad um 
So I borrowed from some of those concepts and some of the, the ideas of what makes a person good or bad. But one thing I really wanted to do with this book was take characters who were largely unlikable and, um, and make you care about, make the reader care about them and have kind of a better understanding of their reasons for their choices to bring up that question of, you know, what is morality, something that can really be determined by some bigger force or is it more subjective and, and what do we do about that? So is there justice in this hell? Are we punished? Is it a form of punishment? And is, if you're assuming there's hell, is there heaven too in the Luxian metaphysical right. universe? Right. Um, yeah, well, in terms of heaven, um, there I don't talk about heaven in this book. Um, that doesn't, I don't, I just don't go into it, but I think that you one- You didn't go there for this book. I didn't go there. Yeah, these characters, that wasn't really on the, on the docket. Um, but- that being said, I do make references throughout the book that in a lot of ways, I, I feel like, I mean, one of the most important uses of hell and earth in this book is that Peyote gets to travel between the two and his pure joy and elation at being on earth um, and his kind of just unbelievable gratitude for things like air and, um, you know, marinara sauce. Um, is, and what drinks? Anything but Jagermeister, right? Yeah, exactly. But he, um, you know, I, I wanted to really point out that I think that there's a lot of opportunity for heaven here. Um, and that that's one thing that we can kind of lose sight of. Um, um, is there, um, are there mother-in-laws in hell? We, we did a show <laughs> with Ainsley Hogarth, another novelist like you dealing with hell. She has a wonderful book out, new novel. Um, horror novel, mother thing. What, oh, what wow. kinds of relationships exist in this hell? Do we escape our mother-in-laws or do we crash into them, locked in the same room? Yeah, well, um, even if you were to crash into your mother-in-law, you wouldn't know that they were your mother-in-law because when you start, um, well, I can't, without it giving any spoilers. Yeah, uh, don't ruin it. I want everyone to read this book. When uh, you arrive in hell, you uh, uh, Cl Claudia's new book, sign here, so don't give away all the secrets. I won't, I promise, trust me. Um, but yeah, so there are relationships, there are people, you know, friendships that form, but at the same time, you're, you're aware of the fact that everybody is there for a reason. Um, you know, and for the most part, you wouldn't think that your coworkers in hell would be the most trustworthy people on the planet. So, or the under planet is the case maybe. So they, um, they are relationships, but they're, they're more, tenuous and then the the real kind of relationships and the mother daughter and the father daughter relationships in this book come through in the Harrisons um and the part of the book that takes place in New Hampshire oh my god New Hampshire that sounds I once lived in uh, New Hampshire that really was about as close to hell as I ever experienced oh, uh, no. and someone the Foders travel wrote about your book asking yeah. you on a trip straight to hell just sign here referring to your book um is New Hampshire kind of because Bostonians look down on New Hampshire, just as oh, everybody else yeah. looks down on Bostonians. Um, yeah, yeah. I love New Hampshire personally. I think it's beautiful. So I and I love. I grew up going to a house that's very similar to the house on the lake. Um, in my book, do they have black fly. I'm sorry. Do they have black fly? Um, I don't know. What is it? you mean? The I don't black know. Black flies are the things that infest New Hampshire. Oh, bite you. The ones Lots that of insects. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I I don't recall those being at this place, but they would be if if this was in hell, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and are there like mosquitoes and flies and other creatures in your hell? Um, no, there aren't. There's only one other creature who is not, uh, you know, deceased human in my hell. Um, his name is Felix. I look forward to readers. Uh, getting to him, seeing what they think, what they imagine he might look like. But he lives on the sixth floor, so he comes later in the book. Is this, in a metaphorical sense, I mean, obviously it's a comic novel about a serious subject, or supposedly mm -hmm. serious subject, but it sounds to me as if it's, a, in some ways, a sort of critique of bureaucratized capital, early 21st century capitalism. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a mostly, I mean, absolutely because of the way that it takes place in this office. Um, but really, I wanted to focus on um, on the relationship between, on looking at the idea of good versus bad and what provides our motivations. And if, um, you know, you can quote unquote, be a bad person, but still do good things, still have capacity for good and vice versa. Or if it's, you know, look at the kind of fluidity between um, good and bad. And, and to see if, you know, if something like this hell should have a graduation program, can you learn? Can you get better? Can you, um, and if so, what is the thing that makes that happen for you? What's your motivating factor? And what was your conclusion? Can we go to college to learn how to be better people? Um, I don't think that it's about going to college to learn. I don't think it's really book studies so much as I think it's all about empathy. It's about being able to connect to other people um, and being able to not just kind of broad stroke say, these are the people I get along with. These are the people in my political camp. These are the people uh, in my religious group, whatever. Therefore, these are my people. I, I believe them you know, as opposed to actually getting to know, treating people on a little bit more of an individual basis. Uh, so this is a, a parable of empathy. We with the, the E word comes up every, every week, sometimes every show. <laughs> we learn to be more empathetic. Is right. The, the moral heart, uh, the moral argument, the moral lesson in, in sign here? I think that that's part of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the other part of it is, um, is the reasoning, you know, so am I, what, what is the thing that motivates a person to be good? Um, and what is the kind of, what's the driving force? Is it internal, external, you know, nature, nurture? So it's, it kind of looks at, looks at things like that, but yeah, empathy is a really big piece of that. I think that it's kind of our saving grace as, as humanity. And in hell, you're suggesting we are punished for not being empathetic? Uh, in, in your hell, hell, at least. I'm sorry? In your hell, people are yeah. punished for not being empathetic. Not necessarily for not being empathetic, but for, I think that a lot of, you know, cruelty, the things that would put you in um, the downstairs. The downstairs is where the really bad torturing happens. That's where the um, the really bad people go. But even there, a lot of folks won't stay in the downstairs for, you know, they'll stay in the downstairs for a few millennia and then they'll work their way up um, through the floors. So that, you know, they, they kind of have, um, have a little bit of flexibility there, but I do think that it's not necessarily not being empathetic, but being cruel. Um, 
you know, it's hard, it's hard to be cruel if you are also empathetic, you know, it can be kind of a bomb for, uh, for the kind of the broken, twisted parts of us. Where do the torturers come from? Is there a, is there a God in this world, in this universe? Um, that doesn't come up at all. Um, it's really the, the kind of the, like you said, the bureaucracy, the kind of, um, drudgery work situation. Um, so there hasn't, that hasn't come up, um, that doesn't, yeah, I don't bring that one up. I forget the first part of your question. I'm sorry, I missed it. Where do the torturers come from? Who? Right. Yeah. So the torturers are the residents of hell themselves. So one of the jobs, um, if you start on the second floor, so the downstairs is the worst part. The second floor is, are the people who man the downstairs. So the downstairs are the people who go around on conveyor belts and they're the ones who are being tortured. And then the people who work and live on the second floor are the people who are doing the torturing. So I also wanted to look at that to kind of think about what happens to a person's soul, even if it is in the afterlife, if their job is to torture other people, you know, what is that? Um, what does that do to them morally? And, 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 you know, how does that influence that any, any good that might be in them. I mean, that, the other thing about this hell is that a lot of the residents are people who have made deals. And so they didn't necessarily do something. Right. Uh, they are, they've, they've done the Faustian deal, these people. Right, exactly. So a lot of those people are then the people who are kind of, you know, in the torture, um, you know, wearing their little gloves and their splash aprons. <laughs> what, um, We've done a number of shows, Claudia, on evil, the meaning of evil. Lots of shows actually about the concentration camps. Hannah Arendt's explanation of evil versus other people's. Mm -hmm. Did you come to any personal conclusions? Again, not giving away too many of the secrets in the book. It's clearly a comic novel, but also in its own way quite serious about why people are evil and, 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 and how we can make sense of other people's evilness. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it is, it is a, it's a satirical comedy kind of thing, but it's also mixed with a domestic thriller. So it's kind of a weird, um, hard to categorize setup. Um, and I think in terms of evil, you know, again, I, it, there are so many, so much of this is subjective. You know, there are people who, who I could see and think of as being evil and bad and that somebody else would revere and, you know, idolize. So it's hard to, I think that that's really the takeaway is that. Like Donald Trump or something. I'm sorry. Like Donald like, Trump, maybe. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so, and every, and people are always convinced that they are right, that their opinion is the right one. And so, you know, I think that when you have two things that both, that are opposites, that, that people are adamant are both truths, you know, we, we come into, um, that's why we need this kind of afterlife. That's why we need this concept of a bigger kind of judgmental purpose source so that we can then be kind of sorted out at the end. But I want to play with the idea that, you know, maybe it really is as confusing and subjective as it seems to us that things, people are not all good or all evil. Is there life after hell for you? Uh, well, that's one of the big um, struggles and one of the reasons why this hell is so torturous is because for them, there isn't. They're stuck there. For me, you mean, am I working on something else? Is that? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I mean, for the residents, yeah, for the your version of hell. In, yeah, they are there forever and ever and ever. 
and that is um and how's that changed the notion of time when it's forever and ever and ever there's no time time is done away with exactly and so that's something i i like to play with in this book as well the way in which time comes in is because peyote does travel between earth and hell um so hell is kind of removed from time outside of time but they do still he has that um he still is connected enough to time on earth because of his job, because of working in the fifth floor. But that is one of the things that makes this hell so torturous is that it is, it seems like pretty, you know, low key annoying stuff. But when you think about it without the opportunity for an exit um, for all time, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> no elevator from the fifth floor, in other words. Yeah. Um, some people's version of hell, Claudia, you're a first time novelist, will be writing a novel, the process, sometimes successful or otherwise, of being published. Um, how, how have you experienced this? Was it hell-like, writing uh, a book for the first time? Have you always wanted to write a novel? Yeah, yes, I've always wanted to, uh, to write novels. And um, I got my master's degree in social work in 2015. So I've been work, I worked for a long time, um, working with survivors of trauma. And I really, really love that work and still um, stand by it. And, and just I'm really happy that I had that experience and plan on going back to it probably in some facet at some point in my life. But with this book, um, I actually wrote two manuscripts before this book, um, neither of which got picked up. So that part wasn't, it certainly wasn't heaven. Um, but I learned so much from that process, um, particularly about editing and the ability to, um, you know, I always think of editing as kind of the math of writing. Um, and I hate, I hate math. Um, so I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my kind of favorite part of the process, but after writing sign here, I edited it on my own for about two years and I came to really, really love the editing process. Um, and wow. now, so, how, so if the editing took you two years, how long did it take you to write? Um, it took me about a year to write it. I think a year and a half, something like that. I'd have to look so the back. The whole project took four years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, but then by the time I got it into my agent, after I'd been editing it, um, working on it on my own, she, you know, sent it into Penguin on a Friday afternoon. And on Monday morning, we got the call that they wanted exclusive rights. So it was uh, that part. That part was amazing. <laughs> it was a hellish, a hellish journey with a heavenly ending. Yes, right. Exactly. And what advice would you give first time novelists like yourself in terms of the process? Spend a lot of time on the editing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, learn to love editing, um, learn to love cutting down your own work. Um, that is something that I think a lot of writers have a hard time with. And now, for me, at least, I find it really satisfying now. I like, like, you know, making my sentences as tight as possible. And that's something that, um, that I get some kind of weird enjoyment out of. Uh, but really be able to... Um, yeah, and to think about not just the story, but the language, the words that you're using and the um, being able to use sentencing and pacing in the sentences to help with suspense, you know, being able to really kind of use every facet of the writing process to pull together um, to, to make your point, not just with your words. 
And in the end, did the Penguin people edit it at all, or they pretty much published it as you edited it? Um, they they edited, you know, they went through it. I did. Um, we did rounds with copy editors. I have so much respect for copy editors. Uh, I had no idea kind of what went into that job, and it was so. I thought it was really cool to kind of see some of the things, you know, there's one scene that involves a printer and the copy editor noted that in one sentence I was describing an inkjet printer and in another sentence I was describing a laser printer. Like this is the kind of stuff that I just never would have noticed or picked up on. It was really cool to kind of see their uh, little detective skills in that way. Um, so we did all a, a lot of that. And so there, it was, it's been plenty edited at this point, but you know, also at, to this day, you know, if I look at it, sometimes I can open a page and be like, oh man, I wish I'd cut that word or, oh, you know, I mean, yeah. try not to look back too much at it now, but. Um, it's but, funny yeah. how you present hell as this building, this bureaucratic building of flaws, hierarchy, kind of reminds me of publishing companies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Where is the editor on the, the first floor? Where, what's the worst floor, the bottom floor? The downstairs. That's where all the torturing takes place. That's where all the torturing takes and place. And the, uh, the senior ex publishing executives are on the fifth and sixth floors. Yeah. They, they, they decide. They what, yeah. Where, where are the marketers? Um, actually, they would be on the fourth floor because the fourth floor is, um, is about uh, like outreach. Um, it's about promoting mm. hell and getting okay, so got the managers and the execs on the sixth and fifth, the marketers on the fourth, the right. uh, the copy editors on the first. Who are on the second and third floors? Um, let's see. Well, I don't think the copy editors would be anywhere near hell, personally. I don't think any, I know for a fact that nobody on my team would be anywhere near hell because they are all fabulous. But um, I mean, I would think, yeah, the copy editors, because they're doing a lot of the kind of thin cutting you know the slicing that's the that's the first floor folks second floor um or i'm sorry that's the second floor the people who are doing the slicing those are the torturers they're working on the downstairs conveyor belt and then the third floor those are the case managers the people who come up with the um torture plans for the people on the downstairs so i don't know what would that be in publishing maybe the um people who like the people who make the designs you know the covers and the blurbs and all of that stuff <laughs> Yeah, the artists. Um, and as you suggested, no dogs in hell, even dogs that look like dragons. So Billy nope. would never be going. Never, ever, ever. Except he goes wherever I go. So we'll see. <laughs> this doesn't sound that bad a hell, um, Claudia. It's maybe not appropriate reading for Halloween, is it? Um, I think that the part that makes it really Halloween appropriate, the part that kind of comes up with the, the spooky side of things, is um, the domestic thriller aspect that's happening um, in New Hampshire. So that component combined with the kind of paranormal fiction of this hell and um, and the people who live and work there. I think that that's really the, but the, the spooky, the twisty, turny suspense stuff, it has to do with the domestic thriller in New Hampshire. Well, there you have it. Sign here, um, Claudia Lux's first Novel, uh, very entertaining, innovative, original, funny, a bit scary, but perhaps not too scary. New book. Congratulations, Claudia. It's quite an achievement, both on the writing and the editing. You've made getting a, a novel published sound very easy, and everybody knows it isn't. So it is not. No, 
uh, you're a good writer and a persistent writer and editor that requires a lot of skills you're not going to end up in hell i don't think although what do i know about hell um what else uh, so so everyone should uh, get her oh, she hasn't given away any of the secrets it's a thriller and a and a kind of metaphor of 21st of a 21st century faustian bargain with uh with bureaucratized capitalist companies an interesting concept what else uh, claudia should people be reading what else are you reading that yeah. you strongly suggest yeah, one, one final plug for me and the on my side of things on my website i talk about in the beginning of the book i talk about something called the hell orientation packet and mm -hmm. on my website i made an actual hell orientation packet um, that's free for people to look at. So if there are any questions about kind of what happens on some of the other floors or what some of the deals mean, any of that stuff. And then in there's terms never, of- uh, Claudia, one thing I can tell you for sure, there's never anything really free on the internet. What, what's the catch? <laughs> well, on my website, claudialux.com, it, it, it is free to look at. Yeah, um, I guarantee that. Um, it's not free for me to own the website, but it's free for you guys to look at it. Um, and in terms of what I'm reading right now, I just finished Set Sharp Teeth by Rachel Harrison, um, which is a werewolf horror book. And, uh, and she's a really brilliant writer, truly funny, and also truly gross. I mean, if you want, if my hell was not gross enough, uh, this book will, this book has got some really, really disgusting stuff in it. Uh, but um, it, she's an extremely, extremely good writer, and I couldn't stop, couldn't stop reading it. So highly recommend.